John chapter 16, I promised, actually I promised nothing last week, uh, that as we started John 16, we didn't get to verse 1. I, uh, sort of tongue-in-cheek, will claim that that's probably the first time that I ever went backwards. And um, we uh, are, but the point in all of that is looking at, of course, the chapter headings are not there, uh, chapter and verse in the original manuscripts, uh, added by man for convenience, and I'm glad they're there because now we have addresses that we can go to for scripture. And yet the thought, the, the intention here is Jesus in this uh, last five chapters of the Gospel of John, or the last five chapters where he is actually spending five hours with his men before he's arrested and carted off to six mock trials and so on. Uh, get to that when we do. Um, but the intention is for him to give party instructions to his men. And as he's giving these parting instructions, he is essentially laying it out and saying, look, I am going to be leaving. Uh, I, but I'm not, I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving. Is, is sort of what he's saying, because he's saying, uh, I will be physically absent from you, and yet my Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, will come. And if I don't go, he can't come. And so he's giving instruction to these guys because they're bummed out. They're really scratching their heads at this point because their whole world had been turned upside down just this night with the things that Jesus was laying out, beginning with washing their feet, talking about going low, uh, as opposed to getting position and power and authority. He, that's how I want this thing to look, is what he's telling his guys. And he goes on through, and he identifies his accuser. Judas goes out into the night, and, and then he begins this just intense instruction for his guys. Now, one of the things that's so is we can take a look at that and kind of take a, a distant view of these things and go, oh yeah, yeah, it's really good. I understand. I, I love knowing what he said to his, his guys. But be careful of that because the things that he is saying to his guys, because the Bible is timeless, are the things that he's saying to us. That's part of the work of the Holy Spirit where we're going to uh, pick back up this morning because uh, remember I, I mentioned last week I, I don't want to get in a hurry as we talk about these different attributes to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. He is a person. We'll look at that in a moment. But really when we get into looking at the text we, we picked it up in verse 26 and 27 of chapter 15 and I'll start there. It's not on the slide but um, and then I want to talk some more about this ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I want to go through, we were in the middle of looking at gifts of the Spirit last week, uh, and I want to continue in that vein. So uh, picking up in, in verse 26 of chapter 15, he says, but when the helper comes, uh, the but being there, remember, because they said that he had just finished saying they hated me without a cause, and they will you too, by the way, and they do. Again, this is timeless application. Uh, when the helper comes, uh, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, so he calls him the helper and the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and you will also bear witness, because you've been with me from the beginning. The, the paraclete, the comforter, the helper, uh, the Spirit of truth, he, he's called all of those things. It's one Greek word, but it's determined by the context and all of that. Uh, when he says he'll testify, he's essentially saying, he will bring Christ to you. He will bring the Spirit of God, 
brings Christ to, he defines who Jesus is, what he's about to us. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is extremely important, and he will not contradict the written word. We talked about, does God speak? Yes, he does. Through the agency of the Holy Spirit. What does he speak about? Jesus. And if it's not about Jesus, you better check your source. Uh, many, many people through the ages have gotten off, out into the weeds totally, uh, pertaining things to the Spirit because they don't follow tight rules of interpretation. How does this work? How did he set it out to work? Not man's opinion, but his. So, and that's what we're looking at this morning. So see, he says, he'll testify of me and you'll bear witness of me. He'll define, you'll disclose. Uh, we looked at that. Remember, we looked at Revelation twenty-two seventeen. Not going to go there again, but uh, about how he uses us in conjunction with the Holy Spirit to bring his message to the world. And it's fabulous the way he set it up. Foolish? Yeah, in worldly terms, it's foolishness to the natural man. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. It's absolute foolishness. They look at it and they go, what are you talking about? And yet we know because we actually have the Holy Spirit living within us, bearing witness to us, that these things are so. So we began looking at the Holy Spirit and the different attributes I talked about. Uh, I'm just going to briefly recap these just to get up to speed where we're at this morning. Uh, he said that he, we're looking at the Holy Spirit attributes. He's the third person of the Trinity, the Godhead. Uh, we don't, folks, you will never understand how that works. Take it by faith that that's the way it is. Yeah, three persons, three personalities, one essence. One God. We are monotheistic. That's one God, absolutely. Manifest in three separate person, persons. Co-equal. When Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, he is talking about one, his equal. When he talks about the Father, he's talking about one, his equal. They are co-equal. Their attributes are shared. They are three distinct persons, but one God. We are finite people. We are finite beings. And one of the things that happens when you try to understand infinite things, infinite terms, as a finite being, you're going to run into something I sum up with one word. Mystery. It's a mystery. It's, and that I don't... Now, how arrogant is it if I say, well, I don't understand it, so therefore it must not be so. Who am I? I love in Romans chapter 9, Paul says, Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Can't the thing molded, the, the, can't the piece of pottery say, can he say to the potter, how did you make me this way? No, he can make some for glory, some for destruction, he says there. And so it's really arrogant for us to assume that we don't understand the Trinity, therefore it must not be true. Many cult groups, uh, one of the earmarks of a cultic group is to deny the deity of Christ, to deny the, 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 the Trinity itself. And so... Uh, he is the third person of the Trinity, and we looked at it as to redemption in terms of uh, the different aspects of the three persons of the Trinity. The Father wills it, the Son accomplishes it, and this, the Spirit is the one who applies these things. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings the things of God to me, to you. Very, very important ministry. Without the Holy Spirit's work, we would simply sit here Sunday after Sunday and have a history lesson. That's it. There, because there would be no driving into my heart, into the core of my being, the truths of God. That's what he does. 
So as we look at him being co-equal, we need to, and this is something I want to, I'm going to slow down a little bit here for a minute, uh, stuff I didn't cover last week. It's extremely, extremely important that we realize if you look all, go and reread this yourself, and you will see that over and over again, Jesus identifies the Holy Spirit through a personal pronoun. He says, he will guide you into all truth. He, 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 over and over again. And it's not just because it's, God's not some chauvinist male. That's not what he's doing at all. But what he is ascribing to the Holy Spirit is personhood. You've got to understand he is not an it. He is not a thing. He is not an essence. He is not an impersonal force. Uh, very often I talk to Christians, well-intentioned, and they'll talk about the Holy Spirit. Well, it, da-da-da-da-da-da. And it's like, no, he. The reason for that is very, very important. I, and I, you know what? I reject, absolutely categorically reject any theology that says anything else. Absolutely. He has to be a person. And the reason for that is because he has a will. He's not a plaything. When you look at the abuses of the Holy Spirit that are going on out there, you see some guy rip off his coat and wave it over a crowd and everybody falls over. I will submit to you, brothers and sisters, that is someone who is absolutely full of themselves and has very little to do with the Holy Spirit. That is somebody that is looking for how much of the Holy Spirit can he have? Because if I reduce the Holy Spirit to an it or a, a force and not a person that has a personality that wants a relationship with me, if I reduce him to an impersonal force, then I'm going to be looking at how much of the Holy Spirit can I get? How much of the Holy Spirit can I have? As opposed to if I see him as God Almighty manifest in the Holy Spirit as, as the creator of the universe, their present creation, Genesis 1-2, there he is, you know, the whole tension thing over the face of the waters and all of that, that, that here is this Holy Spirit of God, and I want to treat him like a toy? I want to treat him like a parlor trick? No, God forbid. God forbid that we ever fall into that, but that's the result of treating the Holy Spirit as not a person, but as an impersonal force. Because then he's there to do my bidding. Then he's there to be my cosmic bellhop. You know, that he's there to, when I command him, he has to do it. Hogwash. And I know this is strong, but folks, there is so much bad doctrine out there with the Holy Spirit and people's lives reflect it. As we understand the reality of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it then becomes, as I am related to him as a person, how much of me does the Holy Spirit then have? It's not about how much of the Holy Spirit I can have, how much power can I wield, how many lightning bolts can jump off of my fingers. But it's about how much of my life have I allowed him to invade? How much of my life have I allowed him to come and to conform me to the image of Christ? How much of my life am I yielding and putting on the altar and saying, Lord, this is an area I don't want. Take it. Work in me. Do this, the divine surgery that you desire to do. That's not going to happen if I'm in the habit of ripping off my coat and waving people onto their faces. That's silliness. And Jesus, think about it this way, the, the Holy Spirit that he's referring to in this passage 
is the Spirit of God. It is His equal. And He shows great respect here. There's nothing about the, the, I mean, you look in the Bible, you look in the entire New Testament, you see every reference to the Holy Spirit is there with integrity, is there with purpose, and there with a reality that he is the one with whom we have to do. He is the one that brings Christ to my heart. He is the one. And it's, it's he is a person. So, and, and, Folks, if you're in the habit of referring to the Holy Spirit as an it, I would invite you to get out of that habit and to see that he is a real person that really loves you and wants a relationship with you and he wants to bear witness to Christ, of Christ to you. Uh, very, very important. Um, we looked at the fact he can be grieved, he can be quenched, and he can be sinned against. Again, God, God Almighty. We looked at the importance of God's word and words in understanding him. The critical aspect of the fact that he does give us his written word, his logos. Also, he does speak to us, the rhema, the spoken word of God, never in contradiction with the logos, but he truly does speak. He wants to inform my thinking. He wants to direct the course of my life. He wants for me to worship in spirit and truth. That's the God that we serve. We talked about avoiding abuses. Again, I, I just uh, I won't go back into that. Talked about Simon the Magician in Acts chapter 8 where he wanted to take the power. Yeah, let me buy some of that power, Peter. And, and, and that I can, essentially, he wanted to package the power of the Holy Spirit and then resell it. Uh, and they basically said, your money perish with you. Talked about the natural, supernatural ministry of the Holy Spirit. My natural combined with his supernatural. Fabulous, the way he does that. The way that it is in a, just a natural sphere that he operates in this natural realm, being from outside of this realm and seeing the things that he does. Powerful, wonderful, mighty. And then finally, last week, we concluded with looking at the gifts of the Spirit. Looked at, there's three primary areas. There's uh, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 8 through 10. Then there's uh, verse, or chapter 14, verses 18 and 19. Uh, we looked at that. There's Romans 12, 6 through 8. It's the second place. And then Ephesians 4, 11. I'm gonna, we're going to go back. Where we covered last week, as far as 1 Corinthians 12, we just got started with this list. There's... 19 gifts that are listed in the New Testament. Some are repeated between the passages. And I'm not going to repeat them, but we looked at word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healings, miracles, prophecy, and the gift of discernment, discerning the spirits, and, and talked about those. Uh, and then where we're going to pick up this morning is with the gift of tongues. Uh, Probably, arguably, the most controversial of all of the gifts of the Spirit. And remember, a gift, the word gift is charis. It's a grace. It's the same word as used for grace. These are not things that we earn. These are not things that we merit. These are not things that we attain. These are gifts of the Spirit. They are literally gifted to us. You may or may not be equipped when the gift comes, but he will equip because 
Remember, it says in Hebrews 13, he doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Very important distinction. I might be dripping with talent in an area. Does that mean that I'm called? No, it doesn't. Very often, he will call the the most ill-equipped person in the room to do the most powerful thing, if their heart's right. Why? Because he's not going to share his glory. He will share his glory with no one. He's a jealous God. And very often, he'll do that so that he gets the glory. Sort of the Gideon story, you know? Yeah, let me take this 20,000 guys and reduce it to 300 and go against 135,000 of the enemy's army and win with Gideon. The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. I love that story in Judges. You know, it's like, here's a teenage kid. He's threshing out wine, or (laughs) he's threshing out grain in a wine press. Grain was at the top of the hill, wine, bottom of the hill, carry the grapes down. Grain, you had to have a breeze to throw it up with a winnowing fork and all that. He's at the bottom of the hill because he's scared to death of the enemy, and he doesn't want to be found out. They're all over the place. And the Lord comes to him, a teenage boy, and uses him powerfully, mightily to judge Israel because he wants the glory. And that's what it is here. And we'll talk about it being for his glory as we go. So when we talk about the gift of tongues, a lot of controversy doesn't need to be. Is that gift for today? Yes, it is. I believe it is. I do not believe that the gifts ceased at the end of the apostolic age. Uh, We're not cessationalists here. Uh, We're continuationists in that sense because uh, there is a dispensational view that the sign gifts stopped at the end of the apostolic age. The sign gifts being the ones that are uh, visible. You could have, you know, the gift of hospitality. Well, you know, that's, but you can't really have the gift of tongues or those types of gifts. I just don't see that distinction anywhere in God's word. Do they come with responsibility? Absolutely. I mentioned last week when I received the gift of tongues, it was the most beautiful thing that had happened in my Christian experience to date, back in 1980, whatever it was that I received that. And and it was a, a gift that's between me and God because the gift of tongues is a vertical gift. It's for edification, building up. Edifice is a building. When we want to see somebody edified, that means we want to see them built up. And and so the gift of tongues is to build me up personally between me and God. And the only time it's done in a public arena is through the gift of interpretation of tongues, which is the next one I've got. But truly, if if we were in a crowd and somebody said, Pastor, you know, I have the gift of tongues. How, How do you feel about me using that? I would ask, do you know if somebody here has the gift of interpretation? Because if the gift of interpretation is not present then that should be something that you keep to yourself. The gift of tongues, I have that gift, as I mentioned, and it is my prayer language. And often it's my worship language. I will, and it's spontaneous. I don't make a big show of it. I don't go out loud. But when I'm worshiping, very often I worship in the spirit and and I'm just so built up. And it's a very tender time between me and the Lord. And so it's a good gift. My brain has to get out of the way. It drove me nuts when I first received that gift. It was like I couldn't figure it out. It's like, I should be able to define this. And, and, you know, it's like this whole chatter in my brain while that gift manifests. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This is confusing. But as I began to relax and to lean into the fact that this is something that God sovereignly did according to his will. All of these gifts are according to his will. He gives gifts sovereignly according to his will. 
And, and some he gives that gift, some he doesn't. And that is fine with me. It, I told you guys, I told him I didn't want it. And I found out what happens when you tell God you don't want something. But the point is, is I didn't because of all the abuse. And yet it's a viable gift. It's a beautiful gift. And it is for today. It is vertical. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 18 and 19. He says, I thank my God. I speak with tongues more than all of you. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I might teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. And the word tongue simply means language. It, it, it's uh, essentially the tongues in 1 Corinthians 13, 1. He says, although I speak in the tongue of, tongues of men and of angels, it could be both. It could be a known language. It could be an angelic language. And it's powerful. But Paul says here, and I believe that's the right, the right focus, folks. This gift, when it's used appropriately, is powerful. When it's used publicly appropriately, it's powerful. I'm built up. However, for the most part, in my experience, and I'm going to say in my experience, I'm not saying this is something the Bible says, but I see here that Paul, I'm in agreement with him. I would rather speak five words that you understand and that you could be built up because prophecy, and that's what we're talking about there, is horizontal. It's a gift that builds people up horizontally. He's saying, I would, you know what? I could speak five words horizontally that you're benefited by than 10,000 words that only I'm benefited by. And that's what he's saying. So uh, the interpretation when it's in a public forum uh, is just it's keeping things in decency and in order. And, uh, and if someone came in here and they, and they stood up in the middle of the Bible study and they started speaking in tongues, I would probably ask them to sit down. And the reason is, is God is not the author of confusion. And it would be very confusing, confusing if somebody came in here and they got up and they began to just go off in that gift. And that's that way in some churches, and that's fine if that's what they want to do. I don't see that as being in order, and I believe that the Holy Spirit is not going to interrupt himself. It's pretty simple when you look at it that way. So uh, just... We could go into depth in that particular teaching. If you have any questions, I, I, I'm happy to talk with you afterwards. And if I can answer them, I will. Um, but the gift of tongues is a viable gift. That's the bottom line. And it is one that there are some specific parameters biblically that we observe and we're built up. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, the Apostle Paul goes into uh, spiritual giftedness there as well. Uh, he starts off with prophecy. We talked about that last week. Uh, but I will just mention that there are two forms to the gift of prophecy. One is predictive prophecy. And that's what prophecy means is speaking forth. Predictive prophecy is where God, through his Holy Spirit, gives somebody the ability to say something that's going to happen. He predicts, and then it happens. And the Bible is full of examples of this. I've seen that happen in my life a few times to where somebody mentioned something and they said, I really sense that, you know, if we do this, this is going to happen. And it was predictive prophecy. <laughs> it, was, it was that gift. The other is practical. The practical side of the gift of prophecy is that's what I'm doing right now. I'm prophesying. Uh, I'm trusting that because I know, you know, I've been, I've been a teacher for a long time and I absolutely know that if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, it ain't happening. Very often when I pray, it says, Lord, I pray for your anointing on the speaking, but also on the hearing. Because I could get up here and just babble for an hour and you're not benefited at all. 
But as the Lord directs, and he knows very often, I've learned to trust those rabbit trails. You guys tease me about my rabbit trails. I trust those because I don't know what's going on in someone's life. And as the Lord, by his Holy Spirit, directs me down a certain area that's not in my notes, I go very often. Sometimes I go, eh, no, that's probably me. But if I sense that the Holy Spirit is charging me in a particular area, I know that he is going to be doing something in someone's heart. That is part of the gift of prophecy. That's part of the gift of teaching. But if your heart is not open and receptive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to have ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart to understand, you're not going to get anything out of it. So it's both sides. The gift of prophecy is very important. To be able to prophesy, to speak forth, to be able to hear. Very, very important in, in so far as both sides of that have to be in place in order for the Lord to advance what he wants to do in your heart individually as we gather corporately. That's why there is such a great emphasis on corporate worship, corporate teaching and learning and all that. Because it's not just getting up here, I studied all week and let me share with you some fun facts and figures about the Bible. It's not how it works. It's about yielding to him. So that's prophecy. And then the gift of serving. That's kind of a general term, but it is a spiritual gift. I know people, I love the fact that in this body, there are a great many people that simply have servants' hearts. It's what Jesus was doing in John 13. Remember when he taught the guys, when he wrapped himself with the towel and he washed their feet, took their dirt onto his towel? Yeah, powerful scene there. But, but the point is, he was, he was essentially saying, this is the fuel that the kingdom of God will run on after I'm gone. I, a student's no greater than his master, neither are you greater than I am, and look at what I'm doing for you. And as you come out of yourself and you die to self, and as you esteem others as more important than yourself, the gift of serving can emerge in your life, and it is a powerful, beautiful gift. Because, you know, I think about King David. Remember, the, he bought the field and all that stuff. And there's, I'm not going to get into that much, but, but essentially his comment in that was, I'm not going to do anything for God unless it costs me. And I think that that's a great attitude to have. Personal sacrifice, guess what, folks? If they didn't tell you about that, when you asked Jesus into your heart, you found out about it maybe the hard way, but personal sacrifice is part of the life that we're called to. And giving, serving, and, and esteeming others is more important than ourselves is key in walking in that gift. In, in perceiving the needs that have to take place and then not going to the automatic, well, that's for somebody else to fulfill, but it's like, well, Lord, what about me? Would you have me serve in that way? Wonderful gift. Teaching, the gift of teaching here. Um, I don't know if we're going to get to verse one yet. Uh, <laughs> the gift of teaching. Uh, it, 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 that's a powerful gift. I remember on a Mexico outreach with my son, I, my buddy and I co-led Mexico teams for, I, I was part of that for about 10 years. And, and my son was, I think, 17 years old. And, and at the end of every day, we would have this kind of huddle. You know, we'd get together at the chapel at the camp, a, a place called Tierra Santa. Uh, and, and we would ask one of the youth, one of the guys to come up, or, or gals, and to come up and to share what God was showing them through this outreach. And my son got up there one day, and he's like, you know, he was just like, 
17, you know how 17-year-olds are. It's kind of like, yeah, well, it's kind of fun being here with all the girls. And, you know, <laughs> he wasn't that way. But, but he was just a 17-year-old. And, and he got up and he pulled out a little piece of paper and he set it on this little platform. And an hour later, after my buddy and I, who's now his pastor, uh, were like kept on staring at each other like, do you know what's going on here? Wow. You could... It was just silent in the room because he spoke with this authority that was not his. And the Holy Spirit was going through and just kind of convicting hearts and giving illumination. It was, it was powerful. I love my son's teaching, by the way. And I am biased. Yeah, he's my kid. But at the same time, to watch that gift emerge was just, it was a high point in my life. He's like, yes, thank you, Lord. That's my boy. You know, that kind of thing. And it was just great. But the gift of teaching is one that God develops over time very often. That's why if somebody senses that they have the gift of teaching and they want to hone that, a lot of times I will recommend that they go into the children's ministry because it's a great place to develop that gift. Uh, it's one that God develops over time. He doesn't just, it's not like, boom, you have the gift of teaching and here you are. Uh, and it's something that he does. It's a beautiful gift. It's a powerful gift. And it's one that comes with a lot of responsibility, a lot of accountability, because you can get up there and you can mislead people. God forbid. That's why, you know, folks, if, if I ever say anything that you take issue with or that makes you scratch your head or you think, oh boy, is he out there? I want to know. I, I Don't take my word for it. Be like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, where they went and they searched out the scriptures to see if those things are so. Uh, I'm not above getting something wrong. Not, not in the least. And I mean, I study and I, I want to show myself approved to rightly divide the word as the word itself instructs. And I'm a man. And so I, it's imperative for us to be sure that the things that we subject ourselves to, whether it's my teaching or anyone else's, that they line up with the word of God. Exhortation, the, the gift of exhortation. I, I, that's a great gift. Uh, a lot of times I, I, I see younger pastors if they've been in the pastorate for a short time, the tendency is to get out there and just exhort people. And I just kind of smile. It's like, you know, Lord, they'll, they'll grow in that whole deal. But uh, it's like, you guys, this is what we need to do. And it's just like, ah, rah, rah, you know, and it is exhort, exhort, exhort. It's like, come on, guys. Hey, dude, level on them a little bit, you know. But the point is, is the gift of exhortation is, is a, it's a great gift. And it's, it's, it's the ability to speak forcibly my, my daughter, the, my, that, the one that went to heaven, uh, my daughter Jessica had the gift of exhortation. And she could tell me stuff. And I'd walk away. It's like, you know, I drink a glass of water. You know, it's going to shoot out all the holes <laughs> that she just pummeled me with. But she had the ability to tell people things, hard things, to exhort and have them be received. Um. You know, it's probably not the gift of exhortation in place if somebody punches you in the face. No, <laughs> no it's the, the gift of exhortation. It's when you've got to be careful. Don't assume you have that gift because it is a spiritual gift. And it's not, I get to now be the boss over you. That's not it at all. But it's to be able to strongly encourage someone, to exhort someone. And one big proof of that is if you're dealing with people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, they'll be able to receive it. And so to be able to exhort, one of the, my daughter's closest friends stood up at her memorial service and it just blessed my heart so much. She said, you know, 
Jessica was the one who knew all of our secrets. She was gifted to counsel women, but she was also gifted to be able to exhort them and say, no, you need to walk away from that, and here's why. To strongly encourage. And she had a group of girls that absolutely loved her because she was gifted so powerfully in that way. Good gift. The gift of giving. This is an interesting gift. Uh, the gift of giving. It says, to he who gives with liberality is what it says here uh, in Romans chapter 12. But the gift of giving, is a, it's, an, it's a, an interesting gift. And it's one that I, I try to shy away from making it about the money whenever I can. I just, I just don't believe that's what I'm called to. You know, if the Lord has gifted you with the gift of giving, then he has called you to not be, I look at it as the difference between a lake and a river. The gift of giving is if God so equips someone with abundance of time, treasure, or talents, not just money, that's included, but if he has gifted you with that gift, then you are going to be an individual through which he pours resources and then gives you the ability to distribute according to how he's directing you. And that's being like a river. The, the resources flow through you. Now, if you have been blessed with an abundance and your life is more like a lake, <laughs> kind of stopping it up, well, then that might be an area of obedience that you need to get right with the Lord on. Uh, again, it's a wonderful gift. God does do that. I mean, uh, I just, uh, I marvel sometimes when I, I see how that gift is, it's, it's an operation in our church. And I love seeing the gift of giving in operation because God is using people as as a channel to for his resources. Not, they're not channeling, don't get me wrong, but as a channel for his resources to distribute uh, accordingly. So it's a, it's a wonderful gift. The gift of leadership. Um, <laughs> I was talking to somebody before church. Every time I read this, every time I talk about the gift of leadership, I remember, I think it was either Rick Boya uh, at Trail Fellowship in Eagle Point, Oregon. It was either him or it was in Bible College. But I remember we were, we were studying the gift of leadership, and, and the comment was made is, uh, he who wants to lead in the worst possible way usually does. <laughs> the gift of leadership, uh, again, it's servant leadership. It is never power authority. The world, management, it's power authority. I, you know what? You don't do it right, you're fired. That's, that's power authority. In, in the kingdom, it's always servant authority. It's getting underneath those people or that person and lifting them up, even if it's at your own expense or peril, to a point. But I mean, it's the, the gift of leadership is one where you lead. You don't push. This isn't cattle driving. You don't stand there with a prod and get, come on, get, get going, get going. No, it's leading, and a good way to know if you have the leadership, the gift of leadership is do people follow? Because if I think I have the gift of leadership and nobody's following, I might want to check that out. Because then I'm kind of all by myself out there going, hey, look at me, I'm a leader. And, and I, you know, a shepherd without a flock doesn't really qualify as a shepherd. So the gift of leadership, the gift of mercy. Ah, that's the last one here in Romans. And the gift of mercy is, uh, again, uh, these are fascinating to me. I loved looking at the gifts. And remember, I cautioned you last week, I don't go for the spiritual gift um, 
uh, you know, the test, see how you're gifted, you know, all that. I, I, I did that as a younger Christian. I even endorsed those for a while. Then I began to realize, well, then that's kind of putting God in a box because if I take that test and I'm only going to limit my ability to uh, serve in the ways that that test indicated I was gifted. No, <laughs> he will gift you. If he calls you, you can count on the fact you might have to actually step out in faith and trust him and he'll do it. Um, so the gift of, uh, let's see, got off into the gift of mercy here. The gift of mercy is, uh, have you ever, okay, Jennifer and Brian, you guys brought your, your puppy uh, not long ago. And I thought about, I thought, you know, they are so adorable. Their puppy is adorable. And it's like everybody in the service is like, whoomp, over at that side of the room. The minute that Harvey said amen on Sunday night, it was like there's this crowd over there. Oh, let me see the pole. Now, picture if that puppy was hurt. You would feel merciful. The gift of mercy is where your heart comes out of you when you're dealing with that. It's not about puppies. But I mean, it's about, you know, when you're dealing with somebody and your heart just comes out of you and you feel merciful towards them. It's often been said, you don't want justice in God's eyes, in God's economy. If I got justice, my soul would be committed eternally to hell. I want mercy. I want God's mercy. He looks at me and he says, man, I know that you can't get it right. Therefore, my son, because God is a merciful God. The gift of mercy is where the Holy Spirit reflects that attribute through me, through you in dealing with others. Very important to realize when we're dealing with other people that it's not about justice. It's not about, well, let me get my pound of flesh. Let me make sure you know that you offended me. Let me make sure, you know, it's like, no, it's not about that. It's about saying, you know what? I love you. I, I'm, I'm sorry you're going through that. I, I, you know, whatever it is, powerful gift. And one that the Holy Spirit does equip with. The last passage here is in Ephesians 4.11. He talks about apostles and prophets. This is one where a lot of people have gotten off with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There is a, a movement afoot these days, the new apostolic reformation that stinks. And it's drawing a lot of people. And it's about where they're saying, well, we are now the new reformation, not, not like the one you know, with Martin Luther and all that. We're the new reformation and we have new instructions from God. And very, very, very dangerous. And people, because this is the most biblically illiterate generation in our nation's history, we are biblically, by and large, biblically illiterate. That's why we put a focus on the teaching of the Word of God here. Is, is that with biblically illiterate people, it's itching ears stuff. This is the stuff that draws people. This is the stuff that's attractive. And, and believe me, folks, it's not going to end well. Very tough stuff. So when people talk about uh, the, the gift of um, or being gifted as an apostle here, and an apostle simply means one who is sent. Uh, missionaries in that context have an apostolic type of ministry, lowercase a, but it's one who is sent. And that's... the. the uh, was going to do a word study, and I, I know we're going to not have enough time, but gifted as an apostle, called as an apostle, is you're called to be able to be, to be one who is sent. And uh, that's something that we would call them today a missionary. 
prophets, again, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God in times past spoke to the fathers through the prophets in many portions in many ways, but now has spoken to us in son. In his son is what it says, but his is added. But he's talking about authority. He's talking about position. He's not talking about bloodlines. And what he's saying there is in the past, God spoke through prophets in many portions, in many ways, but now has given us the complete revelation of himself in Jesus. That being the case, there are no prophets in the classic sense of Old Testament prophets. The last of those was the greatest of them, and it was John the Baptist. He was the one who was the last of that line of men that God used, and he gave them a portion. He gave them a limited uh, filling of the Holy Spirit. He, the Holy Spirit, or Jesus had not atoned for sin, so the Holy Spirit in his fullness could not yet come in. Yet God did pour out his spirit in limited ways on the prophets. So when we talk about somebody that's gifted with prophecy, to prophesy, again, as I mentioned before, and I'm kind of doubling down on this gift, but it's important. It's either predict predictive prophecy, but most often it's practical prophecy. It's to prophesy. So uh, evangelists, uh, we saw this last year the, when Billy Graham went to heaven. I, and in controversy about him, I understand, but also greatly, greatly used, arguably the greatest used uh, of men in the 20th century going into the 21st because so many people were led to Christ through his ministry. And yet that's just one example. One of Stacy's and my boys, Zed, uh, was gifted. He's gone through some things in his life, but I remember him coming up after church and saying, hey, let's go to the trailer for to the, the Hispanic camp across the street over in, in the trailer park, and let's do an outreach. And, and it was like, don't we need to plan for that? And he said, no, man, I just want to evangelize. And he went door to door at the gift of evangelism. And he went door to door, and by the time we were done, we had this huge barbecue that his grandpa had given him, this big, long thing. We had tri-tips on there and vegetables and like 50 people standing around, and he got up, and a lady showed up that was very bilingual, a gal in our church, and, and he preached the gospel, and it was just amazing. The gift of evangelism doesn't have to be that way. It could be that you just have such a burden for the lost, you're not going to get out of the room before you bring up Jesus. And God uses you to evangelize. Yes, we all have the, the call uh, of evangelizing the world. We all have uh, the ministry of reconciliation. We are all called to that. And yet there are some people that God specifically calls to a larger ministry to evangelize. So that's uh, evangelists. Uh, pastors, uh, gifted as a pastor, called as a pastor. The Greek word there is poimen, and it means shepherd. All right, um, I'm here to tell you, it's, I love it <laughs> as far as that goes, but it's for God's glory. It's, God will call people to the pulpit, to pulpit ministry. That's just one small part of being a pastor, a very small part. A, a, a typical pastor's life is, is busy with things of the kingdom, with all of the different aspects that the church requires. Uh, the pastorate is no less honorable a profession than any other. I, I resist some of the old time thinking about, you know, I need to look all gaunt and wear, you know, dark black jacket and string tie and all that. I, no, I, I, I resist stereotypes, but a pastoral calling is a viable, powerful calling. Now, the next gift is the gift of teaching. Now, you can be a teacher, 
My son, again, he's a wonderful teacher. He's a great Bible expositor. I love, I love to listen to I receive from him. And the Holy Spirit uses his teaching a lot. And yet he has no inclination to be a pastor. And um, uh, that's fine. You can be a teacher and not be a pastor, but you're pretty hard-pressed to be a pastor without having the gift of teaching. Uh, that is, a, it's in, in the book of Ephesians, it's not my opinion, in the book of Ephesians, that gift is hyphenated. It's pastor-teacher, okay? So it can be one without the other but uh, on, on the teaching side, but it can't be one without the other on the pastoral side. Why? Because the primary function of the pastor, the shepherd, is to take the sheep to good pasture. That's part of it. That doesn't mean that I have to be the one that's feeding, but I am responsible to take the flock to good pasture, to get them fed well. And there are many people out there that can do a good job feeding us. Uh, I love when the Lord put it on my heart to have Harvey come and teach on our Sunday nights. It's because he has the gift of teaching and he also has a pastor's heart. And so I know that I can now entrust him with that, with our flock, because he's got some pretty green pasture that he can feed you from. So it's something that, again, pastor, teacher, one thing, can't be one without the other when you're a teacher, but you can be a teacher without being a pastor. He, and he's both as far as that goes. I don't have an issue with that at all. The point is, is that a pastor's job, a primary part of what he does, is what Jesus commissioned Peter to there at the Sea of Galilee in John chapter 21, when he said, Peter, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. And he was commanding Peter to be the one that took his people to green pasture, to good food. Okay. Wow, we're out of time. I'm not getting to verse one again. All right, now, I got a couple more I want to cover here. Now, I want you to notice something here. These are ad hoc lists. You know what an ad hoc list is? It's, it's like when you do a, a shopping list, ladies, say you do a grocery, Dan guys, I mean, sometimes I do. Um, okay, not very often. But if you do it, make a shopping list. It's an ad hoc list because you, you say, well, we need milk, we need eggs, bread, you know, uh, chicken, vegetables, and you do that. And then you're walking through the store and, oh, I need that, and I need that, and I need that. It's not on your list. That's an ad hoc list, okay? It means it's something that you kind of whipped out. And as, as the Apostle Paul in these, in these passages has been throwing out these spiritual gifts, he's not giving us exhaustive lists. These are things he's throwing out kind of off the cuff. That's why they're different in these passages. That's why I wanted to go to the different passages here and cover these. They're not all of the spiritual gifts. Some others that we look at uh, is the gift of helps. And it's there, it's, it's there, it's shown in the scripture, but it's not called out as a spiritual gift. That doesn't mean it's not a gift. It means nobody's like shining that light on it. Does that make sense? The gift of helps is a, a valuable gift. So remember in, in the book of Acts, the, the, the apostles were saying, you know, we've got to have some other people do the table waiting here because we need to devote ourselves to the word of God and to prayer. Well, that was them raising up people with the gift of helps that could step into that. Uh, the gift administrations. Uh, people that are gifted to, it, to handle the administrative aspects of the church. Help wanted. Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I had to put in a plug. Um, but, but people who could handle those things, they have a specific calling to that. It's the gift of administrations. The gift of hospitality, that's a huge one. To be hospitable. 
uh, for people to come to your house and to feel and know that they are welcomed. Not just welcomed, they're esteemed. I love it when I go to somebody's house and man, I just feel like the honored guest. I was finishing, I'm just going to boast for a second about somebody because it just, it blessed me. I was finishing up shopping at Costco. I had a whole day of meetings last week. I was down in, um, what is it? Woodburn? No, not Woodburn, but yeah. Where is that? Is that Woodburn? Yeah. I was down in Woodburn and then I had to go up and do Costco and Wilsonville and all that. And I'm just wrapping up there. And yeah, I had a piece of pizza, but um, (laughs) my text, my phone lights up with a text and it's Ron. And Connie saying, hey, red beans and rice, my house, five o'clock, I showed up. Um, <laughs> hospitality. It was just, I love that gift. And I did it for their benefit, of course. Yeah, no. <laughs> It was really good red beans and rice. But uh, again, uh, and I just so appreciate when I see those gifts in the body, because you know what? In a way, we're all we got. You know, we've got a world out there that is hostile towards us. We've got things that come at us that challenge us. We go through trials. We've got all of that. And when, when that, that's the love of God between the brothers that's being evidenced. Very often it's through being hospitable, through coming alongside and helping someone with a gift of helps, through those gifts that you never see. And you wouldn't know that. I use that as an example this morning, but you wouldn't know that. They weren't doing it to be seen or to, you know, any of that weird stuff. It was just like, hey, we got some beans and rice. We know John likes beans and rice. So, you know, that, that kind of thing, it just blesses people and it blesses me. So, and, and the last gift I have down here is et cetera, and I want to cover one thing. And I know I'm running long, but <laughs> too bad it's my Bible study. Um, <laughs> so, but the, the last thing I want to cover here is our attitude for giftedness. And I want to look in God's word in 1 Peter chapter 4, and we'll wrap up with this game. Peter says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Peter understood these gifts were graces. They're not things you take ownership of. They're things that the Holy Spirit brings. They're spiritual gifts. They're called that for a reason. And so we want to be good stewards of the gifts that he gives. They're not ours. Understand that. You take unhealthy ownership of a gift or a ministry and you are asking to be put on the shelf if you don't get a handle on that. Very important. This is not for us to be able to go around and now I've got my territory. I'm going to stake it out and make sure nobody encroaches on that. That's the wrong heart with his gift. Verse 11, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. Listen to this, that in all things, God may be glorified. What's the purpose of giftedness? To glorify him. How do we glorify him? We're loving each other and we're loving the people out there in the world. In all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. As we consider spiritual giftedness, folks, um, if the Lord, let me, let me encourage you, if the Lord stirs your heart in an area, pay attention. Don't let your flesh get in there and immediately either dismiss it or think, well, I'm above that. 
I don't know how many times I have people come to me and they're going to tell me the way they're going to serve rather than saying, Lord, here am I. Uh, I love that. What Isaiah says in chapter 6 of Isaiah, he's there before the throne of God and he says, here am I. Send me. Lord, I don't know what this looks like, but I'm willing. Send me. That's the kind of heart that he looks for in giftedness. He looks for a servant's heart. He looks, I had somebody talk to me not too long ago about uh, the pastorate, and, and I just encouraged him. I said, you know what? You know the person I'm looking for? It's the person that when we're cleaning up afterwards is pushing the vacuum. I'm looking for the guy that says, or the, or the gal that says, you know, I see a need. What do you think, pastor? Should I flow into that? And what do you think, as opposed to, I'm going to do that because that's, I, you know, it's just, these are things that we do with humility, folks. And we do it with humility for the glory of God, the express glory of Christ. Not for some self-fulfillment thing. Oh, I need to do this because it'll bring me fulfillment. After all, God must be in it because, you know, this or that. No. Giftedness is from him, through us, to him. The last verse in Romans 11 talks about all things are from him, through him, via the Holy Spirit in us, and to him for his glory. As we do that, walking in spiritual gifts, whether they be audible, sign gifts, whether they're practical in nature, whatever they are, our Father in heaven will be pleased in the things that we're doing to advance the kingdom of God. That's what they're for. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, brief look at, at spiritual giftedness. And, and, and Lord, the way that you work, the way that you call. I know sometimes, Lord, you call us to simply sit and, and to be at the feet of Jesus and learn for a season. And we yield to that in our lives. Lord, if that's where you have us, I pray, Father, that there would just be a settledness and a peacefulness in uh, those hearts that are in that place. And for those, Father, that you want to press into service to use through your gifts, I pray, Father, that they would seek safety in a multitude of counselors, knowing, Lord, that uh, it's your same spirit in them as it is in us, and that um, as, others, as others bear witness to the gifts that you've given, to the things that you're doing, that we would do so with a spirit of humility and gentleness, uh, and Lord, always pointing the way to you, to Jesus. So thank you, Father. Thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, for um, the way that you have gifted us as a body and the way that you're gifting us individually. We pray that there'd be a yieldedness to the moving of your Holy Spirit in all of it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.